You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Think about Yerushalayim, not only on Yom Yerushalayim, every single day, it's so ubiquitous in our tefillot, uh, every, whether it's Berchat Amazon, whether it's Shon Esrei, whether it's Tachnum, Yerushalayim, and it's Chashibut is constantly with us. Uh, in yesterday's Dafyomi, uh, we also had a, a, a Mishnah. It's told us that Be'ikvus Meshicha Chutz Be'yaske. Many people understand that we're not going to talk about the Chutzpah, but Be'ikvus Meshicha uh, was heralded by the Mohammed of Sheshet Yamim, the Six Day War, and in many people's minds was indeed an indicator that we were living Be'ikvus Meshicha and maybe beyond. And one of the things the Mishnah mentions there, it says, And they're going ear to ear. Who are these Anshe Agvul? So Rashi and Sanhedrin says, uh, Rashi, the Mishnah mentions Sanhedrin as well, and Rashi says, this is B'nai Eretz Yisrael called Anshe Agvul. And the Marshal explains there that they're called Anshe Agvul because Eretz Yisraelim is the center. Uh, whether it's actually the center or not, Everything else is the gvul. Every other city in Eretz Yisrael is a gvul, is only, a, as we say, is a, is a, is a meitzar, a Yiddish agrenitz to Yerushalayim. That's the merkaz for everyone. And anywhere you are, I believe in the world, in a way, is where Anshe Agvul, whether in B'nai Eretz Yisrael, we are being Madville and recognize that Yerushalayim is what we protect. Yerushalayim is our center. Shalayim is is what's chashuv, and whether we're misnovev, meir leir, wherever we are, we recognize that the merkaz of our tefillot, the merkaz of of our lives, is really on Yerushalayim. So Yom Yerushalayim, as it's being uh, celebrated in Eretz Yisrael and here and and we have the suit to have uh, Rab David us again about the chashivot. So what you have here is the. Uh... Is a copy of the Achlatat Rabbanut Roshid Israel, the Chief Rabbinate of Israel's decision in the Rabbanut Roshid Ben Yisiutam to Rabbanim Roshiim, the Chief Rabbis who then uh, were serving Arav Yuda, Arav uh, Isro Yuda Unterman Zatzal, who was the Chief Ashkenazic Rabbi, the Rav Yitzchak Nisim. Who was the Sfaradi chief rabbi? So this is their their decision. So it's like you want to know what did they decide? This is what they decided. Kafchet bi'iyar al pi achlatata shel moetzet rabbanut harashid liyisrael. According to the decision of the council of the chief rabbinate of Israel, nikba yom kafchet the chodesh iyar yom hodaya be'simcha the twenty eighth. Of the month of Iyar has been established as a day of thanksgiving and happiness, joy. Because it's an obligation that is, uh, that's upon us. The obligation is placed to do this and to be mekayim, right? You should do this and it should, it should stay forever. This uh, decision of the chief rabbinate, we call on, or we, we establish this day of the 28th of, um, of Iyar, 
to be for the, those that live in the land of Israel. And this is also something that should be celebrated by the Jews who live wherever they happen to live. Okay, so it's a day of thanksgiving and simcha. For what? It doesn't say yet. And there's a... Okay, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to add to the tefillot? This is their, this is what they suggest. In the evening, there's nothing special. Today, it's more of a minhag uh, that I know of that in the evening, you do much of what you do on Yom Ma'ut. There's a Perak Tehillim that's mentioned later in this decision that we say. And some of the uh, stanzas of the poem, L'Chadudi, that pertain to the Gula, you know, L'Chadudi, the first and second stanza refer to Shabbat, and the last stanza, Shalom, also refers to Shabbat. Then all of the uh, stanzas in the middle, in the middle, they all refer to uh, the redemption of Israel. So it's something that we say in the eve of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, and many people say it also this evening. But what they suggest is, it starts in the morning, In the morning, you should try to establish a minion as large as possible, like on the Chagim, like in Yom Tov, Yom Tov, and in a very festive atmosphere. Okay, it's a mitzvah to have as many people as possible in every tefillah, tefillah hodaya. So if you have a shtibul and everyone's davening at a, one of the first minions at is nates, the next one is at six, and then six fifteen, and then six twenty, then six thirty, seven o'clock. So you should concentrate them into some larger minyanim. Try to get to the biggest minions you can get to. Okay, that's number one. What do you say? Bipsuke de zimra, yomar atzibu et shirat hayam, min vayosha Hashem ad, Hashem yunoch lolam ve'ed, pasuk v'pasuk ba'at ama. They suggest, they say, the psuke de zimra is the regular psuke de zimra of every day, but the shirat hayam, which has, which pertains to giving thanks, is something that you should say, pasuk, pasuk. The Chazan says a pasuk, and then everyone says a pasuk. Um, there are many places that the minhag is to say the psuke de zimra as you say them in Hoshana Raba. And the, the same psuke de zimra of Shabbos, without saying mizmor shil yom Shabbat, of course, and, and instead saying mizmor letoda, and without saying nishmat. But saying shirat ayam, you can either say pasuk pasuk, and some just uh, sing it uh, together. The uh, the important thing is to say it out loud because it's a part of uh, it's, it's, shirat ayam is the Thanksgiving. That's what you have to do. After after saying as regular there's no additions in that. Yomru halel shalem bivracha. You say the entire halel. And with a bracha. As opposed to Yom Ma'ud, where in the beginning, the chief rabbinate didn't say to say Hallel with a bracha, that to say Chatsi Hallel, like Rosh Chodesh, without a bracha. Here, there was no, there was no doubt that from the very beginning, 
the takana was to say Halel Shalem with a bracha. Achrei Halel, after Halel, Ra'ui Shit Rosh Harav, O Echabina Tzibu, Me'en Hamo'ora HaKabir. After saying Halel, then the Rav, or someone from the congregation, from the Tzibu, should speak about what happened. The great event, Kabir, great event that happened. Okay, and then finally they say, what is the great event? What is it that we, we've established this day of Thanksgiving over what? For what? Again, Kosbohu brought a fantastic Mazihil, and Mazihil is a wow, shining victory for Am Yisrael. Shehu, this victory, Kulo Mamash Bidech Nes Lemalaminateva. They call it a miracle beyond, above and beyond nature. Gambi Tochno. Also, through why is it? It's, it's, it's miraculous, both in its content, and in its um, form. And therefore, therefore, we have to express our uh, feelings of thanksgiving in the tefillah, and through being happy on this day. Rasha, I was already talking about the content of the day, and why is it that we're happy today, and why are we giving thanks? Yadgish v'miyuchad, especially you should emphasize et ha-mitzvah gdola shepiusomi nisa. The mitzvah of making the nes well known, publicizing the nes. Shehi mitzvah man ha-Torah, lehotot ulalel l'kadosh v'hu al chasadav ha-gdolim, because it's a mitzvah from the Torah to, uh, to, thanks, to thank Hashem for his great kindnesses, both with his nation and with his nachlato, meaning with his land, the land of Israel. So what happened? Why is there a 28th of Iyar? Today we, all, we call it Yom Yerushalayim. And that has caused uh, much confusion. So we're talking about, we call it Yom Yerushalayim, but it's Kav What are we celebrating? You have to go back a little bit, and you have to go back to history. Tavshin Kav Zayin, or 1967. I was in third grade or second grade, so I don't remember much, really. But uh, what you can all, everyone can read in history, is that the uh, Egyptians, together with the Syrians, who then were more or less one country, the United Arab Republic. Yes, they were, they weren't, but they had one, uh, supposedly they had one United uh, Army Command. And they decided the time has come to wipe out the stain of the state of Israel, to wipe out the defeat of uh, 1948, the war in 1948, 1949, the war of independence and the Sinai campaign of 56 and the Egyptians and the Syrians and then the Jordanians also uh, joined in. So Israel is surrounded on all sides. Lebanon, I don't know if they didn't, they didn't really join in, but they're, they're not our friends. And there are other army contingencies that come from other places, the Iraqis, some Moroccans, some Saudi Arabians. So the, the Arab world 
especially our neighbors, have decided time has come to erase the state of Israel. And the first act of war was closing the Straits of Tiran, closing the Gulf of Aqaba, or what we call in Israel the Gulf of Einat, so that closes off the port. That's a cause its belly. That's an act of belligerence, closing off an international waterway. Now, when Israel had is, had surrendered the Sinai after capturing the Sinai in 1956, Israel surrendered the Sinai under pressure from the Eisenhower administration. And they promised that if the Straits of Tehran, if the Gulf of Aqaba, the Gulf of Eilat, would again be closed by the Egyptians, then the uh, United States would force an opening of the uh, naval blockade. But when a push came to shove, when it actually came, then the uh, the administration, the Johnson administration, claimed that, well, we can't find the documents. We can't find the relative documents where we agreed to do this. So instead, the Johnson administration said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to establish an international regatta, an international naval force, and we're all going to blink, we're going to break through the blockade. But in the end, no one, not one country, joined any naval maneuver in order to break the blockade. Who came to help us? Nobody. Okay, so Israel is in a very tense uh, three weeks. This is Yom Ma'ut, and the Prime Minister was then Levi Eshkol, and he's sitting at the parade, the Yomat Smut, the Independence Day parade in Yerushalayim. And the uh, the relevant officers come and whisper in his ear that the Egyptians have moved into the Sinai. They weren't allowed to, to, to move armored divisions into the Sinai. They did. They asked the UN forces that were there to leave. The, and the UN decided to leave. So they're threatening to kill us all. Right, and then Israel starts to call up reserves. You know, the Israeli army to this day is the defense doctrine of the state of Israel is built on the reserves. That means that the regulars, the regular army, is very, very small. It's enough. It's supposedly supposed to be enough to hold the fort until the reserves come in order to fill in all of the uh, the peoples. And you know, as reserves are called up, that means the country comes to a standstill. Because you're taking people out of the economy, out of work. So the country comes to a standstill. And the, uh, the world is threatening us or urging us not to do anything, to wait, to wait, to wait, to wait. And Israel is getting ready for war, right? Is there plans for war? Israel is getting ready for war. And what I mean by getting ready for war, you can see this sometimes in the old films and from 1967, they start to dig temporary graves in the uh, parks of Israel, preparing 10,000 graves, because they thought that would be the minimum that was needed. Okay. So the thing is that it, we're, stand, we're Israel, two and a half million Jews, are under threat of extinction, of annihilation. That's what they want to do. So that's, the first of all, the token. The first part of the token, what is the content? That we won against the enemies that had a plan to throw us into the sea. Right? It sounds like a cliche today, but it's it's the truth. And that's what we went through. 
I know that today, you know, no, I'm not talking about Jews, but if you live, in, if you grow up in the Western world, then you think that the one uh, fine, some one fine uh, June day, the Israelis decided to wake up in the morning and seize, destroy the independent state, Arabic, predominantly Muslim state of Palestine, and suddenly just for no reason at all conquer the state of Palestine, which of course is baloney. What happened was that Israel decided to strike the first blow because the uh, the consensus was that if we allow the Arabs to strike the first blow, as we did intentionally in the Yom Kippur War, 66 years later, seven years later, if we allow the uh, the Arabs to do that, we won't survive the first blow. So the the miracle as far as the content is that we want this great victory when the world didn't expect us to win, didn't expect us to uh, to survive. And we thought that we would survive at a great, great cost. You have to remember the War of Independence. In the War of Independence, when there were about 600,000 Jews in Israel, 600,000 Jews, men, women, children of all ages, 6,000 people were killed in the War of Independence. It's 1% of the population. So people, they thought that that's what, what happened in 1967. Even if we'd win the war, it would be about 1% of the population that would be killed, which is like 25,000 people, which for Israel is, is a lot, right? 1%. Imagine what 1% of the United States, how many people in the United States? 300, 370 million, whatever it is. 1% is a lot. So it's a great victory where they were, they were threatening to kill us all. And the Egyptians um, actually started the war by blockading Israel. The Jordanians, who Israel pleaded with King Hussein, don't join. And you know what? If you don't join with the uh, Egyptians and the Syrians, we'll recognize your illegal annexation of Judea and Samaria. Just don't join. Because it seems as if we're going to be wiped out. So the Egyptian, but the Jordanians started the war on their front by shelling Yerushalayim, shelling Yerushalayim, like over a thousand shells that fell in Yerushalayim, people killed, injured buildings. And they also sent their hunter aircraft, hunter fighter bombers to bomb Israel, bomb Tel Aviv, bomb cities. So the Jordanians also started the war on their front, and by ground action, they took uh, Government Hill, where the United Nations was situated. The Jordanian army took that in order to um, to move from there to split the uh, split Yerushalayim, the uh, Jewish part of Yerushalayim. Was then the Jewish part of Yerushalayim. If you've ever been in Armon and Nativ, there's a beautiful promenade from there. You can see the old city. It's a very high point. It's one of the high points. One of the highest bridges. In the area of Yerushalayim, from there you can sweep down and conquer all of the western part of Yerushalayim, which was then under Israeli rule. So this is a miraculous, unexpected victory. And it's in its, that's it, in content, and it's surah. And in the way it came out, that was in six days. This wasn't a independent war of independence that went on for an entire year. It wasn't a month. It was six days to defeat three armies one after the other. And it's a that's also miraculous. I mean some of the uh, 
Some of the battles of the Six Day War are studied by armies throughout the uh, throughout the world. Some we won because the Arabs were so bad. But some, even if the Arabs are, even if your 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 opponent is so bad, but you're so few, it's like it's mamish. Like we say in Hanukkah, the few against the many. The tiny country, small army, few against the many. And it was miraculous. All that had to happen was so many things, just a little thing to change. The, uh, the Egyptian pilots, every morning they would fly, like on a patrol, and then they'd go back to their bases and they'd have breakfast. Okay? And then all these Israeli planes take off when exactly when the uh, Arab pilots, the Egyptian pilots are having breakfast and show up on the radar, actually show up on the radar. And the, uh, the Egyptian chief of staff was in a plane and he actually visual, visually saw these planes coming. And but the Egyptians, Egyptians thought, wow, that's not the Israelis. Those are our planes. They're our pilots that are coming back for breakfast. They're going back to the base for breakfast. So if these planes coming from the east and they're flying west, no, no, they're not Israelis. They're, these are the Egyptians. Okay, until it was too late for them to figure out what was going on. And the great thing, another great thing was the Nasser, you know, in in this typical Arab way, was boasting that he's that he has wiped out the Israeli Air Force, which is why King Jordan. The king of Jordan, King Hussein, decided, oh, well, if the Egyptians are winning, then I'm going to join in. Otherwise, the Egyptians are going to, you know, you know how the Arabs are. Each one is jealous of the other one, taking all the land that they're going to conquer, taking all the spoils. That's why the Jordanians attacked us, because the Egyptian radio was saying, it's a great victory. We've destroyed most of the Israeli Air Force. Okay? Boom, for care. The exact opposite of what was actually going on. That's so... All of these things that came together, and the Syrians didn't do much until we were able to finish with the Egyptians, finish with the Jordanians, and then take the Golan Heights. You ever been to the Golan Heights? You can just imagine what it would be, what it was like then to be on the Golan Heights, the Syrian army with their uh, artillery, and what it would be with if it was uh, today with what we have today. Anyway, so so as far as the Tochen and the Tzura, it was a great victory. This is the, the psak of the, the then Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Shlom, Arab Shlomo Gorin, when Yom Yerushalayim came out, uh, as it does this year, on a Friday. So in the, uh, in the first and second Seifim, uh, he says that to make sure that there isn't any Chilul Shabbos, Chilul Shabbat, all the uh, celebrations like today, you have the you have a parade. People are dance parade to the to the kotel with the with flags, like tens of thousands of young, basically youngsters, but also some other other people. Tens of thousands of people, and they're dancing to the old city to the kotel, right? So that is done today, not tomorrow, to make sure there's no chilul shabbat. Chilul shabbat by the people celebrating. Or causing, inadvertently causing Shilul Shabbat for the police, because the police, you know, they're the last ones that go home after you're finished. You've already gone home before Shabbos. They'll still be there after Shabbos, when Shabbos is already in, and there'll be 3,000 soldier, a eh, 3,000 policemen instead of 300 policemen because of. So Rabbi Gordon said, everything that you do, all these public de- demonstrations, all these public, public celebrations, do on Thursday. 
But in the last year, go down the page. Al-Af Dalet, Al-Af Hagdamat Hagigod Liyom Hamishi, Abzayim Biyav, even though we're going to put forward, we're going to make all these celebrations earlier, Thursday, Abahareat Filot, but the Filot Shenikbeu Yom Yerushalayim, Kolel Amirat Halel, all the special Filot that we say on Yom Yerushalayim, including Halel, Yesh Lomram, Gam Ashana, Bizmano, Biyom Chishi, Afchet Biyav. So all the celebrations that go on outside the Beit Knesset, they, they go on on Thursday. But the Ikhar, as far as the Halakha, all the celebrations, the parades, all that, that's, that's not, it's wonderful. But the Ikhar that you have to do, the Halakha, is to have a Seudat Mitzvah and to say Halel, that you only do on Kafchet Iyar. And here he gives a slightly different definition of what happens in Kafchet Iyar. What happened? We were, we had, we were, we merited this, this wonderful thing to, uh, to liberate the, the city of God. The emphasis of Avgoren is this is the day, Kachet Yar is the day that we liberated Yerushalayim, united the city, conquered the holy city, conquered the, the holy temple mount and the, and the western wall. This is what we have left, left of the buildings that were, that were around the Kotel, around the, uh, the Harabai from the time of the second base of Mikdash. And to reestablish our our capital city in all of Yerushalayim. Now the war was over in Bet Sivan, but the Rabbanut Rashid decided to make Kafchet Yar the day of celebrating the victory of the Six Day War because Kafchet Yar, as Avon points out, was the day that Yerushalayim was liberated. Even though the war went on for another few days, but Kafchet Yar is especially significant because of the. Uh, the uh, liberation of Yerushalayim, liberation of Mekom Mikdash, and that is where we get to the deeper content of Yom Yerushalayim. I know Yom Yerushalayim often in Israel also has purpose as has has mistakenly become this is the day of Jerusalem. People in Jerusalem celebrate celebrate as if oh, there's it could be like. Tomorrow is Yom Hebron, or another two days is Yom Hebron. Maybe there's Yom Tveria. There's a day that, you know, Yom Eilat. When I lived in Eilat, there's a day that Eilat was conquered in the in 1949. Okay, that's wonderful. So Yerushalayim is the day that people who live in Yerushalayim celebrate. No, that's a mistake. Yerushalayim is the day we celebrate the victory of the Six-Day War. But Yom Yerushalayim. Kafchet Yah is the day we celebrate the Six Day War, but we celebrate especially on this day because we're celebrating the like the the climax of the Six Day War was the fact that much of Eretz Yisrael, or much of Eretz Yisrael, or all of Eretz Yisrael between the sea and the river, right from the river to the sea, finally Eretz Yisrael became free and came back into into Israeli uh, to Jewish sovereignty. That's the big. That's a big thing, and the climax, the apex of all that is the uh, liberation of Yerushalayim. 
And that also opens another stage in the entire uh, entire process of redemption and return to Eretz Yisrael. Right, Jews started returning to Eretz Yisrael. You could say with Menachem Mendel Levit, seventy-seven. Yeah, the, the year after American independence was declared. That's when the the first uh, group of Jews came from from Russia, coming back to the land of Israel, thinking of the Geula, thinking of the redemption of Israel. And then the thirty years later, you have the the large group of the Talmudim of the Gra. And thirty years later, you have a large contingency of Jews coming back, especially from. North uh, North Africa, and then in the 1880s you have Jews coming from Teman, and they start the what, what the uh, Zionist movement calls the first Aliyah, the second Aliyah. More and more people start coming, so there's a process that starts, and all this is the process of building the land physically, building the land physically. Not that we finish building everything physically, but there's something you know when when you're born, you're not chayiv, you're not obligated to. Obey the commandment when you're 10 years old, when you're 11 years old, only when you're 13, when you reach puberty, when there's a, a very small scale, the beginning of an adult body, only then you start to have a really spiritual life that you actually can live the, the commandments, not just because you're being educated to, to live them when you grow up, but you start to be an adult. So when there's a minimum bit of a body, that's when you start to be chayiv mitzvahs, out of an adult body. So when we were 19 years old, for a nation, that's like nothing. And this is after 200 years of almost, it's like 190 years of coming back to the land of Israel. After 19 years of sovereignty over part of the land of Israel, we moved up another another level. Took the, Hashem took us to a higher level of the Geula, of the redemption, with Yerushalayim. Sovereignty over Yerushalayim means a different level of divine presence in the world. The, the Rabbi Yosef Karo, who wrote the Yishuchan Aruch, it's well known that he, had, he, wrote, a, he wrote a book called Magid Mecharim. He had like a, something like something angelic, a divine type of inspiration that came to him, and he wrote down these, these learnings. It's a sefer, it's a book of Kabbalah. One of the things that uh, that he learned, one of the, one of the things that the, of Yosef Karo wrote was that, you know, he, he learned through this Ruach HaKodesh that even though, even though Tehilim and Megillat Esther, they're both part of the third part of the Tanakh, Tuvim, but they're not on the same level. Because Megillat Esther is written when the Persians are controlling Eretz Yisrael. But Tehilim is written when the Jews are controlling Eretz Yisrael, and when the Jews are controlling Eretz Yisrael, it's a different level of Kedusha. The same thing, when the Jews are controlling Yerushalayim, even if the, we allow the Muslims to continue praying on the Temple Mount, but we allow them. But we're the ones that are sovereign. It's the Israeli police that are, uh, that are on the mountain. Okay? So when Am Yisrael is sovereign, over the heartland of Israel, especially Yerushalayim, then we, it's another level of the revelation of divine presence in the world. It's like another level of a Hu revealing his guidance and revealing himself through us, through our, through this entire uh, process of redemption. And ever since, Israel also has been in more turmoil than ever before. 
Because, you know, you can live in Tel Aviv, you can live in Haifa, you can live in Be'er Sheva, and you can ignore Jewish history, and you can think that, well, Jewish history started in 1917 with the Balfour Declaration. Right? And, I thought, and Nathan Sharansky always says when, when he grew up in the Soviet Union, so history started with 1917, October of the Revolution in 1917. Then he thought when he came to Israel, it were, history started over 3,000 years ago. But no, what he saw in the schools, they're teaching that history starts in 1948. History became even shorter. But when you get to Yerushalayim, and you walk the uh, the alleyways of Yerushalayim, okay, and you can walk with you. If you're everywhere, and anyone ever comes to Israel, you can look me up. I guide in the old city one day a week. I guide in the old city in the Western Wall Tunnels. When you walk the alleys of the old city, even in the houses that were built under Turkish rule, I can point out to you, you see this stone? This stone is from a building from the Second Temple. You see this stone? This stone is also from the time of the Second Temple. You see this building? You see the you see how the uh, the foundations are huge stones? These are stones that are taken from houses built during the time of the Second Temple. This and make that. So when you're in Yerushalayim, you cannot ignore the spiritual aspects of the uh, of the of Am Yisrael. So ever since conquering Yerushalayim, we have become teenagers. And if you have a teenager, if you have teenagers, and have nine kids, so I've gone through this nine times. When you, you know you have the little kid in first grade, second grade, fifth grade, he's a wonderful, he's a tzaddi, he's a righteous person, she's a righteous person, Sarah Imenu, right? He's Avam Avinu, she's Sarah Imenu, they're tzaddikim and tzitraniyot, and suddenly they hit like 15, and you don't recognize them? Because now they, now that they're becoming adults, and it takes a long time, they're starting to have to deal with meeting their inner essence. Not because you told them to do this, because but because they choose. And that is a very hard and difficult period for a nation. The first time we came to Eretz Yisrael, our our teenage years, maturity, it took those are the those are the years of the Book of Shoftim, four hundred years. Well, we hope that today this this time around will take us less than four hundred years. But ever since we have met Yerushalayim, so we have met our soul, and it's not easy for everyone because people are educated in another way altogether. So some people are living in cognitive dissonance, so you want to ignore Yerushalayim. So many people want to ignore Yom Yerushalayim. They say, well, that's for the people living in Yerushalayim. I don't live in Yerushalayim. It's not my holiday. I have nothing to do with that. On the other hand, you have Chavidim. For some reason, they act as if if we would have lost the, the war, they'd still be living in Mehachayim, everything would be fine, you know, Ankitori. So that's also weird. It's weird. Because if we would, we would have lost the war, then, you know, there would be no Jews here. Uh, so everyone should be giving thanks. But it's, it's come out that only a very small portion of the population realize that Yom Yushalayim is to celebrate winning the Six Day War and moving to a higher more spiritual stage of, uh, of our historical process and since next week, you know, Yom Yerushalayim is the same day uh, of the week as the Shavuot. Yom Atzma'ut, Hei'iyar, Hei'iyar is always the same day of the week as the last day of Pesach, right? There's an Atbash of all the holidays 
from Pesach. At the first day of Pesach is is Taf is Tisha Be'Av. Second day of Pesach is Shavuot. Third day of Pesach is next year's Rosh Hashanah, etc. And all these are Chagim, right? Up to Vav Pei, the fifth, the sixth day, that's Purim, except for Zayin Ayin, which there's a Masoret from the Gaon Vilna that this Ayin is, is going to be a great, great, great holiday. But no one knew what it was until Hey Iyar. And it turns out that Hey Iyar is the same day of the week as Zayin, uh, as the seventh day of, of Pesach. Okay? But now you're going up to the level of Yerushalayim. So Yerushalayim, Yom Yerushalayim is always the same day of the week as Shavuot. We're on our way to Matan Torah. So we're in the middle of this process of going from Yitziat Mitzrayim. We no longer uh, have to be subservient to any other nation in the world. We're, we're independent in our, own, in our own country. We're on our way towards Matan Torah. On the way towards receiving the Torah is Yom Yerushalayim. So it's a big stage. There's still a lot to do, so you're all invited to come and help us move along. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.